You ready? Yeah, I have. I've been ready, as they would say. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hello, everyone. This is Red Femme. I'm Jen, and this is Hannah. Hello. And we're available on Apple and Spotify on Mondays, and bonus episodes on Thursdays are on our Patreon. On this episode, we're going to be talking about Oscar Pistorius, who, I think it was a a week or so ago it was announced, is going to be getting out of prison Mm. after only six years after being convicted of the murder of Reva... Stienkamp. Stienkamp. Yes. So, should we do a quick recap for those that maybe don't know the story? Sure. So, Oscar Pistorius, you might remember, was a Afrikaans, white South African man who is... He has no legs, no workable legs below his knees. He wears prosthesis. And he was the first to compete in the proper, not Paralympics, real Olympics, with specialized prosthesis for running. This was controversial at the time. Some runners said this represented an unfair advantage. But uh, on the whole, it was seen as this lovely, wonderful story of this boy who was born with this deformity and overcame the odds and was at the Olympics. And what a positive... Uh, representation of South Africa, a country that doesn't have an uncontroversial uh, reputation. And he was the first Paralympian to compete in the regular Olympics. Yeah. And I remember it in the 2012 Olympics in London. He was, you know, very admired. Yeah. Interestingly, um, he didn't react well to fellow athletes going, hey, if you're running with blades instead of feet, Perhaps this represents an unfair advantage. Could or could not have been right about that. I'm not sure enough about the science. They made him a lot taller. They made him a lot taller, and I imagine you can get a bit more bounce than maybe a human foot would allow. Um, He didn't react well to that. He reacted very poorly to that. And it kind of bursted, burst the, you know, golden boy persona a little bit. But for the most part, you know, photo ops with Nelson Mandela considered a very positive inspirational guy yeah Yeah. and it was always you know what mandela said was that sports could kind of unite south africa and bring people together it's kind of a universal thing that people can take part in you can be good at no matter really what your race or class Yeah. yeah so in this respect it was meant to be this universal or unifying thing, that's mm. it, unifying. And I remember when South Africa won the rugby for the first time after the fall of apartheid and the captain got interviewed and said, oh, you know, isn't it wonderful to have 45,000 South Africans watching you win today? And he said, no, we have 17 million South Africans here or whatever the population was. Yeah. And everyone cheered. It was this beautiful thing of like, we're all South Africans now. Yeah. And we're trying to have equality, which of course has not been managed, but... Yes, or get over our racial tensions and come together, basically. Yeah, so that was Oscar Pistorius. He came from a very wealthy... Or an upper-middle-class, um, very traditionally Afrikaans or, or Dutch South African family, very religious background. I thought, I thought they were quite British. No, no Afrikaans. Oh. Yeah. Um, okay. Very traditionally Afrikaans family. And then he met a woman named Riva Stienkamp. And Riva was a TV presenter. She was also... 
academically very gifted. She had recently gotten to law school, was planning to return to university to do like a law conversion. Very beautiful woman, model, beloved by very many. And they started a relationship. He would often go out with very attractive women. Yes. So he was a bit of, from the documentaries I've watched on him, I don't necessarily want to say he was a player, but he certainly liked beautiful women. Yeah. And he'd had various beautiful girlfriends over the years. And this was sort of one of many that he'd that he'd shown real, a lot of interest in. Yeah. And kind of said, oh, she's the one, da-da-da. But he was certainly, they were in a serious relationship. Yes, they were in a serious relationship. And there already was some controversy in the media that he had let a gun go off in a restaurant. Yeah. And also, I think, on the motorway with friends. Yeah. And the idea was that, you know, maybe he was a bit of a bad boy. But it was still this idea of nothing too terrible had happened. He was just a bit wild at heart or whatever. Yeah, he let he was like passing a gun, trying to show off a gun in a restaurant. And it fired, which shouldn't happen if you're following anything to do with gun safety. You probably never have a loaded gun in a public place. And yeah, there was a fight at a nightclub, I believe, that then led to some shooting on a motorway. Or I think that, I think there, there were fights at nightclubs that he was involved in, but the, I think the incident I remember was he shot a gun out of a sunroof. Yes. And again, it was sort of mucking around, mm. showing people a gun or messing around with his friends. But there was clearly a safety issue with him and guns. Yes. Yeah. And it clearly a desire to show off guns. In, you know, um, gun ownership, controversial topic. But most, I think we could all agree, responsible gun owners, the gun lives in a locked case in your house. He was not behaving this way around guns before this incident. And the men he was fighting with at nightclubs were like gangsters. Yes. Like yeah. Afrikaans, really hard, tough looking men. Yeah really built men that look weathered mm. and they're because they came to his trial so i saw them and then the documentary kind of went over who they were and they were enjoying that he was in trouble at this trial mm. but it was the enemies he'd made were kind of quite serious enemies that were involved in organized crime to some degree yeah or around those circles and again this kind of posh boy that had gone to a boy's private school mm. How had he even met them, right, is the question. But I think he sort of liked this idea of kind of flirting with danger. I think, speculation time, but I think he was going into nightclubs and starting fights with people. Right. And that quickly escalated to you picking the fight with a wrong, the wrong man. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So um, dating Riva, Riva had someone else kind of in the periphery a very wealthy man. She wanted to go on holiday with him. There were fights about this. I know about I know about this because their WhatsApp chats were released after the fact. And Riva had said in these WhatsApp chats, I find you quite controlling. I find you quite jealous. Can we please can we please just relax? And there was there was tension in this relationship that was quite a short relationship at this point, three or four months. Yeah. So do you and, wanna And then of course the the, at the time that we all know about yeah. really when I did vaguely know who he was but if someone had said his name I wouldn't yeah. have, have been able to recognize him unless they'd said the guy at the Olympics whatever the thing that really you know is the incident we're going to discuss and the fallout from that on today's podcast is 
he shot and killed her on Valentine's Day. Mm. Was it in 2014? I think it was 2013. Okay. Just check. So one year only after the Olympics. The trial was 2014. What a, what a downfall. February 14th, 2013. So yeah. he's being let out a decade after her death. Yeah. yeah. So it's only a decade. Mm. So what partly my interest in this is that in South Africa, they have televised trials, and I remember watching quite a lot of it and yeah. certainly taking an interest because of its subject matter. And I actually believed that it was a mistake for a long time. I never did. I The way that he reacted after they said, not guilty of murder, but manslaughter, mm. and that he didn't do the OJ sort of, oh. Like, yeah. He, was, he just started, like, you know, crying and breaking down and I kind of thought oh like for some reason this really changed my mind about okay I do think maybe he didn't know she was in the bathroom Mm. but of course that doesn't actually matter and it was upgraded from manslaughter to murder because of course who he imagined in the bathroom was a black intruder well that's the important point I guess we forgot to mention is that the story that he had was he believed that the person he was shooting at was a home invader yeah there is a lot there is a lot of crime in South Africa and a lot of home invasions in South Africa. Um, there's also a huge amount of anxiety um, among white South Africans about these home invasions. They're incredibly paranoid. Y- yeah. I mean, and you could say paranoid because of something real, sure, but it it it's it can be excessive and occupy a big part of their mind, this idea of the home invasion. Yeah. It's like the the South African white UFC fighter I follow sometimes on social media, Drikus Duplessy. He's always flogging security systems for your car, for your house, yeah. for hotel, you know, safe hotels, safe holiday packages. It's clearly the case that white South Africans still have in their mind, and in a certain respect, it makes sense. Like this retribution, yeah, for past ills, yeah. And that they're still kind of getting away with something, living in beautiful compounds, in enormous houses when the majority of the black population live in poverty in townships. So it was that on the night, it was that him and Reva were asleep in bed and that he heard a noise. He heard a window open Mm. and then he got his gun and went to the bathroom, said to the person locked behind the bathroom door, you know, like get out of here who are you da 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 they didn't say anything and then he fired through the door and that he thought that Reva was still in bed yes and that then he said the story was that she must have got up to go to the loo in the middle of the night yes yeah so I found this implausible as as much as I changed my mind when I saw his reaction but then I changed my mind again when I saw his reaction to the not guilty of murder but guilty of manslaughter before that I thought I still think, how implausible is it that you don't think your partner just gets up in the night to go to the loo sometimes? Yeah. This must have happened unless it was their first sleepover, which it was not. And that people don't open windows in bathrooms. Of course they do, all the time. The explanation for that from the defence was because he had a particular psychological vulnerability and a particular complex about being on his stumps and not having his prosthesis while asleep and that he's in an extra kind of paranoid state 
when he doesn't have the height. He, I mean, he must be the size of a eight year old child without the um, without the prosthesis, and he that this accounts for him not having that simple thought was this complex, basically. That was a big part of the defense. That's what they tried to say. Yeah. But you can sense if someone's in bed with you. 100%. But I want to get back to, so you thought this sounded implausible, but his reaction at the trial made you think, oh, wow, this man is clearly... Yeah, so watching it, I thought it sounds quite implausible because you know when someone's in bed next to you, you can feel them. Also, if you are then acting in their protection and getting a gun and going to confront the burglar. And in fact, he says, he said, Reva, Reva. And then she doesn't respond. Mm. You'd also put an arm out to just touch that, you know, check that they were there. And then when you go to the bathroom, so it was like a bathroom area with a window open. Mm. But this, this building, it was quite high. It's not like someone could have just got a ladder and gone in, I don't think. Or it would have been difficult. You'd have Mm. needed a very large ladder. And then just shooting through a door at what you think is a burglar. I mean, that's why it was upgraded to murder, because it doesn't actually matter. You were clearly trying to kill someone. Yeah. It's just you thought it was a black intruder that didn't matter, and it turned out to be... Yeah, whoever was behind the door is actually irrelevant. You aimed at them and repeatedly fired. But the reason that I... Yeah, it was was his behaviour in the trial that just made me think... Because he seemed so, you know, like he's gone grey, parts of his hair's falling out, psychiatrist saying he has PTSD. He seemed like a man who was very guilty about something he didn't mean to do. And there was no defensiveness. No. There was no... Usually when someone has committed a crime against someone who's trying to get away with it, they often make negative statements about them. Yeah. There was none of that. You know, it was all, I would do anything to bring her back. I would give my life to bring her back. This isn't usually the kind of rhetoric when someone murders someone else. Yeah. I mean, this is a bit controversial, but the way that the McCanns, in my opinion, probably accidentally killed their daughter, they constantly make negative comments about her. Yeah. They don't say she was the most angelic little girl and I would die to bring her back Mm. and blah-de-blah. So that was my thinking, but I also didn't realise, and I think maybe you just pointed this out to me or I realised it myself that... Someone can convince themselves so much yeah. that it was a mistake. Yes. And that, and therefore still have that viewpoint of acting like a not guilty person in how much they will, you know, admire the person and say it's, you know, the worst thing they've ever done. They do anything to bring them back and da-di-da. And, like, keep in mind this, from being woken up to shooting through the door would have been about two and a half minutes. You can convince yourself, actually, I was thinking that in this two and a half minutes. Yeah, so I think he might have convinced him, convinced himself. Um, and didn't you mention something, another thing that you were convinced by, was some documentary or something that mentioned the, the lack of light in the room and the fan. Yeah, so apparently yeah. he was one of these people, and I've known them, that can't even sleep with like a, um, a digital clock. Yeah. So his jeans were in front of the digital clock. They'd in fact closed the windows and brought a fan in. Mm. So it was sort of like dark room fan whirring yeah so again it's like you can't really hear things that well because you can just hear the fan he might then have just thought you know reva didn't respond or he didn't hear it when he's getting his way off the bed to go to the loo to shoot the burglar and i just thought yeah it's very dark and i kind of thought it maybe he you know it was out of fear that he reacted i mean not that it's okay 
but the, and that he thought someone was about to come out of the bathroom because he even said something like that the toilet someone flushed it yeah and that that made him jump mm. and react and fire before he was really thinking so all of that put a certain amount of ambivalence in my mind about it mm. and then when i saw his conduct in court i thought yeah. this seems like a man who's full of contrition yes that's the right word full of like regret and when people have done things intentionally i mean we know he killed her but when people do, have done things intentionally yeah maliciously maliciously they tend to not be able to get there yeah i uh, i remember i was in south africa during the trial and i remember them having to pause the trial for him to vomit yeah because he was so like overcome and it was difficult. Some people, I remember people trying to say, oh, it's clearly an act. It clearly wasn't an act. I don't, I don't believe it was an act at all. My um, feeling about it, like with reference to his like emotional state during the trial, is that he was in... I know feminists don't like discussions about rage um, and men, male violence against women and saying, oh, he flew into a rage... And he lost control. There's lots of feminists who have... Who always say they're in, you're in control. You're always in control and they have criticism of this. I understand that. And in a sense, you are always in control. Even if you feel your rage reaching the point in which you are out of control. You, you can always walk out. You can always walk out. You can always whatever. You are always in control. And there's always a point in which you can stop. And that fa- that woman, that famous woman who wrote Why Does He Do That, that book, who would run... Um, groups for men, therapeutic groups for men who beat their wives. And she said, oh, well, do you ever lose control at work? Have you ever lost control at your mother and hit your mother? Oh, no, no, no. And she would say, well, that's because deep down somewhere you, you believe that she deserves this. Well, it's also different stimulus, though. That's my, yeah. Because I used to think, there. oh, a man who's beating up his girlfriend, when a bigger man comes along, he suddenly stops and can control himself. The reality is that another stimulus has entered that will make you respond in a different way. Yeah. So it's actually just people have different spo- responses to different, different people. Yeah. That being said, I do think there is a difference between being in a very heightened emotional state and doing something and doing something calculated, doing something that's calculated. And I believe he was in such rage. Um, I think he felt emasculated because he was suddenly four foot eight when he usually walks around at five foot 11 or whatever it is. Um, I think they had a fight. I think he's a very unsafe man with with guns. Best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Very. Un- I think that in his mind, he disconnected the fact that guns cause death and guns became a symbol of his masculinity. And he thought, I'm going to show her. I'm going to. And then he got to such a rage that he shot her. Yeah. I believe it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't whatever. He absolutely could have calmed. It's not an excuse for his behavior. He absolutely could have calmed down at any time and not done that. Been responsible among guns. But I believe the contrition and the crying and the throwing up and in court was a reflection of just how out of his state, he was so out of control. So, of, of his regret. Of his regret for becoming that out of control. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from what the records show he had looked at pornography on Valentine's Day. Yeah. So people speculate that maybe him and Reva had an argument about his pornography usage. Yeah. Because she was very Christian, as far as I'm aware. And I think that they probably had an argument. So this is my theory now. They had an argument in the night. Yeah. And I think that she went to the bathroom basically to get away from him. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, she can just walk off quick. And he can't. And he can't. That's it. So yeah. he was like, fuck you, bitch. Grabbed his gun and was basically, I'm going to terrify you yeah. in the bathroom. And I don't think it was, at first I thought maybe it's premeditated, like, oh, I'm going to shoot at her feet to freak her out. I actually think that what you're saying is true. That thing where he was so angry, yeah. he kind of did what he really wanted to do. Or it's like, it's like your physical handling things. Like I have in a panic when I've just been like, like, you know, on your way to like a job interview and you're late and, you know, you're in a bit of a panic. And then I've just opened the door really like too, too hard. Yes. And the yeah. doorknob is like broken or a little bit off its hinges. And it's like, I couldn't do that on purpose if I tried. Yeah. But the way that you're kind of like dramatically getting your stuff around, you're like, oh no, I'm late. I'm late for this thing. And you grab the door handle and you're like, wait, what? But it's, it's that. It's all of that emotion coming out in your physicality. I think what happened was, yeah, he was so enraged that he just fired the gun. And, he, and apparently several times. But then we should talk about the testimony. Yeah. And I just to make the point again. What I think is the big missing part of the puzzle as well is I think that he, because he's a man with wounded masculinity, he really feel he, guns did something for him and did something for his masculinity and he fully separated the idea that guns kill people in his head. How could you pass a loaded gun in, the re- in a restaurant willy-nilly if you believe that guns actually kill people? And I think it came to symbolize something very different for him, basically. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other thing that made it really clear that he did this and that he knew it was her was that he said there was there was screaming the neighbors said they heard screaming and it was a woman's scream and then in court they got him to scream just so he has a girly scream but he didn't have a girly scream yeah and it was important when like the timeline of the events was important because you can mistake the first shot but after you hear the scream after the first shot if you keep shooting that that even in that tiny moment is premeditation yeah. And that changes it from one degree of murder up. So it became a big deal of when the scream was and who was screaming. A lot of the trial rested on that, basically. And the doctor who lived across the street heard a shot, then a scream. A, woman, and a woman's scream. A woman's scream, and then two or three more shots, um, which would count as premeditation. Yeah. Um, his excuse was... No, it was me screaming, and the sh- the bangs that he heard weren't shots. Um, it was actually what he heard was a cricket back cricket racket hitting the door, and is me it, trying to get the door down. Is it? Yeah. Well, yeah. then, where were the gunshots? I mean, guns are so much louder than cricket bats. And this guy was like an ex Angolan military vet guy who was like, I know what a gun sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't sound the same. I think that, like, the lawyer, his defense counsel, got him to say maybe it could have been after lots of badgering him. But he was like, no, I know what a gun sounds like. Yeah. And the final nail in the coffin for me that just made it 100% certain was I watched this documentary. I must have seen about three. And they interviewed an ex-girlfriend of his who said she didn't say he's threatened me with a gun before. No. But she alluded to it and said well, I know from personal experience what he's like around guns. And he, she said something that basically very obviously implied he's, he threatened me with a gun. And I, 
I went to try and find, because it was the BBC documentary that everyone was upset about because it seemed quite sympathetic to him. And I went to go try and find it on iPlayer and they've taken it down. So if anyone knows where to watch this, because it was an incredible scene, because she said, oh, I know what, I know what Oscar can be like around guns. And they were like, but what does that mean? He's like, you know, things got a bit like, I'm sorry, I'm doing a British accent now. Jen wanted me to do a South African accent, which I could usually do quite well. You're very well. good at it. But yeah, I could, I'll get into it later. But she's like, oh yeah, like, he's gotten a, a bit like, I can't do it. Suddenly I've lost my South African accent oh, under pressure. There you go. Under pressure. It'll come back to me. The way I get into it is I go, please sir, where can I park my Impula? <laughs> <laughs> but um, she was like, oh yeah, he's gotten, things have gotten hairy um, with him and guns before, and, and she and, and, and yeah, and she literally said like, and me, and I. As soon as I thought, oh, he's done similar. Okay, yeah, he did it. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I hear that precedent yeah. that you threatened a woman with a gun, yeah. of course you were threatening this new woman with a gun. Yeah, yeah. It's just obvious. Yeah, and even a girlfriend from when he was much younger. Her and her mom were on a documentary saying he was incredibly controlling. Mm. He would not like it if she went out at night. Mm. He used to say, like, send me a photo to prove that you're not in a nightclub, that you're at home. And she'd have to, like, send a photo of her bedroom with her hand in it or whatever to show that she was there. So he's already an incredibly controlling man, a man that feels really wounded in terms of his masculinity. So then Mm. adopts guns as this, like phallic substitute yeah Yeah. right so like the the gun almost like well that makes him the right height yeah like the bigger the gun the taller man he is and then it's just kind of it was just obvious i was like okay right well he i don't know if he meant to fire the gun but that he oh he was so enraged yeah i think it it was it doesn't really matter no because you still did it intentionally I think that's what explains his, because, yeah, I think I felt a bit moved, for lack of a better word, by his emotionality in court as well. But I just, I do think it's something that he did in a rage, and I think he didn't, he had convinced himself guns don't kill people, and it was... You know, and the, but the thing is, is you always have a choice. You always have a choice. You can always walk away. If, even if you're that angry, you always, always, always the best have a choice. Thing, the best thing to do is to go for a walk if you're yeah. close to someone or have had a big row, in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah, I think that uh, what's so crazy is that he'll have only spent six years for mm. murder. Yeah. I mean, this is nothing. I know. I know that maybe they're, they're including time spent or something, but still, even if it's just 10 years... Fucking hell, that's not a long time for putting someone in the ground on purpose. Yeah. So it kind of makes a mockery of the whole South African justice system. I thought he'd be in prison for at least 20 years. Because the reality is he will come out and he will find a wife and he'll have children and he'll become a member of a Christian community. Yeah, yeah. And he will have a life. Yeah. And she never gets to have a life. She never gets to have kids. She never gets to get that law degree. No, she doesn't get to do... She's dead. I even thought, fucking hell, if this guy gets off, he'll be in the next bloody Olympics. Mm-mm. I mean, I'm glad that there was such a backlash in South Africa. And there was such a surge of women's groups complaining about violence against women because yeah. it's so rife there. Yeah. Statistically, you know, more rife than even here, say. I don't know we watched that documentary where there was black women were outside the 
chorus and they were singing a song about Riva, like the kind of South African style call and response song. And you were like, these women are better feminists <laughs> than any woman I've ever met in Europe. And I was like, yeah, probably. Well, it's just, yeah. I mean, ones in Europe would be complaining about how she has white privilege or something. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I think that, I don't know, I... I find it as well, this thing of like, okay, if it was done in rage and he considers it a mistake, the most he could do would have been to tell the truth about that. Well, that's the other thing. It's like just, but I think he's fully convinced himself. Yeah, yeah, he probably has to. Yeah, I think that that response, that's the only way he's been able to cope with it, to be honest. But it would be the least he could do. And from what I can tell, South African prisons are pretty grim. Yeah. Like his prison cell, thankfully, is pretty grim. He's not like in a Norwegian prison, which is pretty much like living in university halls. There was some controversy about him being moved to a nicer prison at some right. point. Yeah. I mean, the way his parents talk, they're just like not, they just would say they're not the same. Their marriage isn't the same. They can't really speak to each other some days. Like it's such a tragedy to you know emerge in people's lives just insert that into people's lives and for what because you had an argument with your girlfriend i know it's just this thing though of and i I know it's all men but there is a certain kind of afrikaans man who will not be challenged it's a very traditional very patriarchal culture it's very much like the southern united states that's how I would describe it to someone from the outside. Okay, but less friendly. White South Africans are not friendly. But in terms of the gender relations, right, okay. 100% where women are, you know, do as I say, like, in the kitchen, maybe you get go get a nursing degree or you get a teaching degree, but then you're home and you're having kids by the time you're 26. Like, this is what how people describe the American South for women. It's, very, it's a very similar thing. Mm. And the men are as traditional as that yeah Yeah. and it's a very christian country very 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 christian country yeah i mean it's also just i even remember thinking you know did he think that she was stood up that that maybe this would just hit her in the legs and this would just be a way of injuring her but she was actually sat down and so it hit her in the head i mean what was it the guy that the doctor that found her said that she was blown back by the bullet behind sort of at the side of the toilet mm. and fallen against the wall but the, the speculation that she was just sat on the lid the way that the prosecution recreated the crime scene and how their explanation of it which is obviously we'll never exactly know what happened is that she was sat on the toilet kind of trying to hide from him because there was a bathroom but the toilet was kind of in a enclave yes to the to the right she was sat on the toilet trying to hide from him and that the first bullet and the bullets he was using, by the way, explode into shrapnel. They're illegal artillery. First bullet shot her in the hip with such force that she fell back, then screamed. And then the second bullet was in her in her head. And that was the one that killed her. So she was in quite a bit of a very brutal way to die, basically. But she, I don't think from what is described that she was using the loo. No. So his whole thing of she went to the loo in the middle of the night and then I mistook her for a burglar. If she was sat on the lid she with behind a locked door, she was just hiding from him. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think as well. I think they had a fight and then he... There's something about emasculation, as Esther Perel says, it doesn't exist in the feminine. It's only something that can be said about men. You can't be effeminized. 
there is something about how wounding it is to men that I don't, that speaks to kind of the fragility of it and it's how central it is for men and their identity. And that is, I think the, one of the things that you can, for, for a man to feel emasculated, it's so wounding and there's so much rage that comes from it. And I think he must've just felt on the edge of that all the time because he was disabled and rather than just being like, well, I'm disabled. Some people are disabled. That's how it works. I've managed to do pretty well for myself regardless. And all these ideas about men and women are pretty stupid and backwards anyway. It was quite wounding to him. And the other thing in the documentary, one of the documentaries we watched that was touched on, was in his traditional Afrikaans family, there was no acknowledgement of it. Yeah, there was no talking about it. There was no talking about the reality of the vulnerability it represented. It was only like, nope, you're going to do sport anyway. Nope, everything's normal. Nope, you're exactly the same as your siblings. Yeah. Oh, and they said, they loved, they were like, oh, and he just got on with everything just fine. It was exactly the same. And then boys from his school said, oh, yeah, we'd be playing rugby and he'd get tackled and one of his plastic legs would go flying and then he'd hop over to it and put it back on. I mean, imagine doing that. Yeah. And no one acknowledging how hard that is for you. Yeah, yeah. There was just never any... No. No, I think that's what made him really, like wound tightly yeah i think there's such a close relationship between wounded masculinity and then violence male violence yes because it's just a way of trying to regain that ground yeah and i just think that he was a sort of liability on that front like ready to go like if it hadn't been reaver it would have been another woman yeah and it's also something about because it's a denial in the end in the end yes you can do amazing things if you're an amputee if you're a paraplegic, if you're a quadriplegic, you, you know, there's so many advances in technology. People live fulfilling, wonderful lives. It's great. However, there are some things that objectively suck yeah. that are hard and difficult. And you, you, not to use a horrible liberal world, but to you need some validation of that or some recognition, recognition and acknowledgement of that. So you can go, yeah, that sucks. But anyway, I'm going to continue on. I have to learn how to, how, how to, how to manage this for myself. There wasn't, I don't think, any acknowledgement that, yeah, this makes you a bit vulnerable. But actually, that's that's okay. That's fine. I think he was just kind of on the edge mm. in this very hyper-masculine machismo culture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and just even from their messages, the, the things the ex-girlfriend said about, he just seemed like a dick in a very just sort of boring, flat, horrible way. Yeah. Like, yeah. it wasn't complicated. He was just controlling insecure Mm. really had this chip on his shoulder about having a disability despite the fact that it's like he was celebrated he got into not just the paralympics but the you know regular olympics he dated all these supermodels Mm. like the fact that none of the women like do you think that supermodel men would date paralympic women yeah. I fucking doubt it. Yeah, yeah, They'd just yeah, be like, oh, I'm not dealing with that. Yeah. Whereas women are like kind or like, oh, it's fine. Or it makes him like, it gives him an, I bet they thought this gives him an emotional dimension. Yes. That he's yeah. had to cope with this. And it did indeed give him an emotional dimension. A fraught, horrible, aggressive one. Yeah, exactly. Where he constantly needed to be like reaffirmed as king of the castle and in charge. And I just think that, you know, the fact that he was so much shorter than Reva 
in reality mm. that when she walked off and he couldn't just like grab her just yeah. walk over walk after her and grab her and throw her on the bed yeah which is maybe what he would have done if he yeah. had you know full legs i just think then the gun was just this phallic substitute of like i will fucking terrify you yeah. with this and then you'll be physically afraid of me because of what i physically do with this gun yeah it makes me think i remember when female dating when female dating strategies came into my orbit when i heard about it for the first time i went on the reddit and they have they call it like 10 rules or 10 10 lies you were told and one of the lies was um vulnerable men or disabled fat whatever kind of men that you think make them vulnerable they're not going to be nicer to you in reality they'll probably be worse to you yeah and I remember thinking, oh, that's a bit harsh. But I think that that is what ends up happening. Oh, Because it, totally. it, it often leads to insecurity. Not necessarily, but it can. Insecurity and also that people think they'll give them a pass. Exactly, yeah. I remember well. being at a, it was like a political rally, but it was pretty much just crowds of men out at night. Yeah. This was in East London. And I, I could feel someone sort of touching sort of my thigh bum area and I looked and it was a guy who ha- who had like a disabled hand so he had like some missing fingers mm. and I just remember thinking oh like he, he was yes yeah. he was less threatening yeah, yeah so I wasn't gonna be like what the fuck are you doing or like punch him in the shoulder or anything mm. I just he was like shorter than me had like a deformed hand and I was just like oh Okay, well, he's not threatening, so I'm not going to make a massive deal out of this that he clearly just touched my bum. Probably never touched a bum before. And, you know, but he did. Whereas if it was a normal guy, I would have gone livid. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's that's probably right. Yeah. It's that nice guy syndrome. It's always looking for where could the goodness be? Where could the complexity be? Where could the kindness be? And it's interesting when you realise, actually... A lot of the best, as in like the most secure men, are like the alpha males yeah. that don't feel the need to put women down because they can compete in a healthy way with men and win a lot of the time. Yeah, They're, yeah, not insecure. They feel very capable. They feel at home in their bodies. And actually, they're the ones often that you can sort of shout out or have a row with and they, you know, they're fine. <laughs> yeah, I remember first hearing that and being a bit more of a headbanger around fun at the time and thinking that can't possibly be true because in the theory, the more masculine you are, the more um, masculinity represents something that's very anti-woman. So therefore, the more masculine you are, the more anti-woman you will be. I remember thinking, God, that can't be true. That can't be true. But it does, in the kind of gendered society we live in presently, those men do not feel the need to act out yeah. against women or against children or against whoever because they, 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 they feel quite secure. Well, the way that I think of it is gender, so masculinity is part of that, is just a, is an expectation and yeah. a norm. Yeah. And the men who are successful at it yeah. are just sort of happy chappies. Like, exactly. I'm um, yeah. successful at it. They're, they're, you know, obviously some of them do terrible things, but they're more secure. It's the men at the bottom that we presume have rejected those norms and haven't. They still want dominance. They still want to meet the social expectation. They're the ones that when they can't compete with men, put on a dress and go and try and dominate women and go, oh, I'm a woman. I'm going to take your sports 
chat scholarship or I'm going to win this sports championship or I'm going to go and shout at all these women on a protest. It's like, well, yeah, because you couldn't do that to other men because they just splat you. Yeah. And you know it. Yeah. No, it's a... And I'm glad that FDS is getting that message out there. Yeah, at the FDS podcast. Yeah, and the subreddit. Well, I think that partly what will happen now, because I think that Reva's parents have some good lawyers, Mm -hmm. is that there may well be an attempt to keep him in prison for longer. He should really do another 10 years, in my opinion, at least. I mean, it's just awful that... And from what I understand, Reva's parents are just like, we just want him to, like... Tell us. To tell us the truth and admit it. Because I don't think anyone in South Africa doesn't know that this is what's gone on. I don't think anyone has convinced themselves of this intruder thing. Um, What's the first thing you do when you think there's an intruder in your house? Check where the other person is. Check where your partner is. Check where your kids are. Like, it's just, it's not, it's never been plausible. When he said, I was trying to protect Reva... It's like, well, this is a nice story to tell yourself, but the reality is you thought she was a foot away and you didn't reach out for an arm. And I just think it's that infantile thing of, like, rather than taking accountability, you convince yourself it didn't it didn't happen. Yeah. yeah and I think, I think he has convinced himself, basically. Well, hopefully he's now, surely he's banned from owning guns. And if he really was, you know, wanted redemption... He would admit what happened. Yeah. And then he would campaign against sort of... Male violence against women. Male violence against women and yeah. and some of the relaxed gun laws they have. And the reality is as well, if someone burgles your house, you can't just shoot them when they're hiding from you in a, no. in a bathroom. I guess the idea is you, they act as a deterrent um, and people are less likely to break into your house if they know if you live in a country where there are more guns. But it was even like the window was open. How did someone get in? He would have been able to see the ladder. It's like also this... like South Africa in the in the summer, so all people, the people, people open windows. windows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's incredibly sad, really tragic, and I just can't believe he's out after six years, really. And I do think that when you look at everything based on, you know, it's it's almost it's very implausible that he didn't do it, thinking it was her behind there and on purpose. And then when you hear that he's threatened a woman before with a gun, that's it. I don't know why that woman didn't testify in court. I really she wish she was on had. his side. He was. She was the biggest <sighs> simp in the world. Don't you remember? She yeah. was like, oh, you know, Oscar. Like it was so. And after he got back to the trial, I just I hugged him for hours. And she was like the biggest mm. little handmaiden ever. And even when she realized she she said the wrong thing, and she was like, oh. And then the interviewer said, sorry, what did you mean by that? And then she tried, she tried to walk it back. Yeah. But I remember you were watching the documentary and you were still going on with the fan and the jeans and the light. And then you saw that and I was like, well, <laughs> well yeah, after I've that, I was saying. after that, I was like, oh, that's all bullshit. Then okay, he did it. 100%. Yeah. yeah Not yeah. just on a balanced probability. I think he did it, but there's, it's obvious. But yeah, I mean, a lot of women cope with male violence against them or men being threatened against them by just sort of siding with the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's ultimately what she did. Yeah. Siding with him against another woman, I bet it felt great for her, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, I'm sure she loves it. And there's something, like, about the masochistic, like, I stick by my man in hard times when no one else will. It's like this... It's also about yeah. pretending that you have a wonderful, beloved ex 
even though we're not together now, everything's great between us. And clearly it wasn't if he'd threatened you with a gun. And it broke up with you. Clearly this was one but, way. Uh, but those things happen. But, yeah. the, but the threatening with the gun is what's is nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, you know, it's to have that fantasy and that kind of story. And, um, and of course, when he was a broken man, he was willing to talk to her again and accept all the support in the world from anyone he could get it from. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Whereas before then, he wouldn't have picked up the phone to her once. And she'll feel great about that. Yeah. 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 She will. So, anyway, there we are. It's, uh, I guess it'll be more in the news when he's let out in six months' time. Yeah, I just feel awful for her parents. They just seem like such nice people. And it's just such a shame in a country that has such a bad situation for male violence against women, for femicide and sexual assault and rape. Like, it's just really, really, really horrifying that this is the the message that South Africa is basically sending, you know, around the world is like, we don't give a fuck mm. about male violence against women. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Tootsing. Is that goodbye and say enough cunts? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. the case fears. Wow. I so forgot to do it's the... all coming out now. I forgot how to do the accent in the middle of the... I don't know. It was just on demand. You can uh, say goodbye in Afrikaans then. I said it already. Say it again. I said Tutsing, which is like goodbye in a yeah. kind of casual way. And Chassin de Kaisfir. Merry Christmas. Chassin de Kaisfir. Chassin, anyway. Now I'm worried I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. Oh, there we go. All right. All bye right. bye. Bye bye.